0: It was when he told me that story of these two young girls that I just went, Christ, you know, cycling five months with no money is just non comparable to what these girls actually go through.
1: Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast, where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories of freedom and adventure. ...from travellers around the world.
0: Here is your host, Hayden Lee.
1: Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the Travel Stories podcast. We made it through Season 2, we unpacked it... Now it's time for season three. As you know, I am in Rio at the moment. I finally made it, and boy, am I tired. (laughs) But you can't beat a place like this, man, it's fun. I'm gonna be doing a lot of Snapchat, a lot of Facebook living, that's a verb now, I suppose. So the Snapchat is Travel Stories UK. The Facebook Live, just search on Facebook, Travel Stories Podcast, I'll be there. Now, speaking of Facebook Live, what we're doing this week and from this week onwards the travel journal usually comes out Thursday right so this Thursday British summertime that's BST 7 p.m. we're going to be doing it Facebook live style live from Rio we'll be doing Hayden's travel journal I know this I think it's 3 p.m. in Rio something like that but it's 7 p.m. BST, British Summertime, so get on over there, Travel Stories Podcast on Facebook, hit that up, it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, don't forget to ask me your questions, you can email me, Hayden at com. that's H-A-Y-D-E-N, I do answer everything, or head to TravelStoriesPodcast.com forward slash ask, this is a lot of stuff in the intro, and there you can ask your question, and one person that asks the question, the question, whatever the question may be, and is featured on the final Q&A session that we'll do after this season, we'll, I you, know, you know, I don't like the word win, but we'll win a Grail purifier bottle. These things are amazing. It's the ultra light version. Well, go to grail.com, G-R-A-Y-L to see what it is. And again, we're not sponsored by these guys. I just think everyone should have one of these. And it's uh, my way of making sure one by one, you guys all get one of these because they're amazing. So on to today, we have Laura. Bingham. Oh, what can I say about Laura Bingham? She's amazing. Not only is she incredibly fun to talk to, but her biography is just ridiculous. Check her out on Wikipedia. Laura Bingham, right? So she went from one side of South America to the other side on a bicycle um, with no money. It took months, and she did it, I think it was like six months, and she did it with no money whatsoever, just living off the kindness of strangers. And that is only one of the adventures that she's been on and been through and completed in her time. She is such an awesome person to talk to. You guys are going to really, really love this one. So this has been a long intro, so let's get to it. You're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Laura Bingham. Laura Bingham Laura, how's it going?
0: It's going really, really well. And thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such a pleasure.
1: Laura, it is so nice to hear an English accent on the other side of this mic.
0: Oh, wow. So have you have been hearing a lot of foreign accents?
1: Yeah, we've got a bunch of Americans and Australians and people like that. And me and Laura were talking about this uh, just before the call as well. And we have, like, like you know, we, you listeners, we do have a lot of US people. We do have a lot of Australians. And rarely we have English people. And people say, is he English? Does he know any English people? And this, <laughs> this is proof. <laughs> I do know some English people. So, Laura, whereabouts are you? I assume you're in England right now?
0: Yes, actually, I'm in London. I'm staying with a friend before I go back home to Winchester, which is where I was living before, but now I live up in Leicestershire.
1: Ah, Leicestershire, not too far from me. I'm uh, down here or across here in Shropshire. In Shropshire? In Shropshire.
0: I was born in Shropshire.
1: Tell me you were born in Shrewsbury.
0: I was.
1: <laughs> we were born in the same hospital.
0: Ah, we must have been like little baby buddies, and I would to give you a little wave over there in your little baby cradle. <laughs> So not only have you found another English person, you found another English person from exactly where you're from.
1: That's amazing.
0: Winky dinkly.
1: (laughs) Is that a phrase? Yes. Well, we're going with it now. I'm going to say that to everything that happens now.
0: Winky dinkly. I have a really, really amazing habit of combining phrases. So like instead of, you know, I always say jump the gun instead of jump to the post or run to the gun or something. I end up mixing phrases and making up words. It's like. For the documentary that's being um, shown to, like, pitch to different channels, I keep calling it a sizzler. <laughs> and my is like, no, it's, it's a sizzle. That's like the trailer that you show channels. And I'm like, no, but it's a sizzler. And he's like, definitely not. It's a sizzler. And I'm like, well, I just made up a word for it then. Because I like sizzler.
1: I like sizzler. Like it kind of sounds like it's, uh, you know, if you think of a sausage sizzling, it's hot. You know, you want to get it while it's hot. It's a sizzler. <laughs>
0: It just rolls off the tongue so much better than sizzle it's like it just sizzled out it just fizzed out. <laughs> definitely out. out i want to sizzle in a pan
1: <laughs> exactly now, i want to come i want to come back to the documentary because i'm i'm really really interested both to hear about it and to see it when it's all done and dusted because the in fact you know what this isn't scripted let's get into it now let's get into the documentary now shall we so what is the for our listeners? What is the premise of the documentary? What do you go out to find? Do you find the answer? Are you looking for the answer? Are you just looking to ask the question?
0: Um, well, obviously, when I went out, I wanted to showcase the kindness of humanity, and obviously, I managed to do that by completing the entire journey without spending any money. I wouldn't have been able to do that without the kindness of strangers and the kindness of humanity. So, I definitely got an answer to my question, which was. You know what are people like to strangers, or how kind are people to strangers and And I found that out because I managed to survive the five month journey seven thousand kilometers with no money um and i yeah i literally I went out to see if it was possible to cross the country, cycle seven thousand kilometers without any money and um yeah, I did it, so I'm feeling pretty proud.
1: <laughs> I love the ending to the sentence. I went out to see if I could do this ridiculous thing, and yeah I did. <laughs> i like that
0: <laughs> along the way few people got hit by cars and whatnot but uh mm. we completed it
1: that's it that's it and that's i was gonna say that's what it's about but even if it weren't i think i think just the style of not just the style of travel but the style of living so the main thing i take from it is this thing about kind of planning and spontaneity. So with that, you need a hefty dose of two things. I would I would say, I mean, I haven't done it, but I would say you need a hefty dose of two things. Number one, spontaneity in the way that you're, you know roughly the direction you're going, but you have the freedom to choose, well, I could do this or I could do this today. And it's the spontaneity to to be able to choose that and the other thing would be a dose of optimism now you could do this thing with a pessimistic mind i would imagine that it would be a lot harder because i think that optimistic mind comes into when you have these meetings with the the friendly strangers as you say the optimism and kind of the drive to do it and the being open to meeting these people i would imagine that helps a lot am i in the ballpark of what's going on here
0: Oh, completely. Like the the first month when I was in Ecuador, I got so depressed and so down. And I found myself saying, you know, who are you? Why do you think you can do this? Of course you can't do this. You've bitten off more more than you can chew. Like, who do you think you are? And all of these thoughts were going around and around in my head. And I was crying 24-7 and I couldn't find any food. And it was raining constantly. And then I specifically, like, I recognized what I was doing. And then I went, no, you're you're Laura Bingham, for Christ's sake. You can do this. You know, you are capable of doing this. And as I was telling myself, it just felt, you know, there was another voice in the back of my head going, why are you lying? Like, I, I know you're lying. Stop lying and telling yourself that you can do this because you can't. And then I had to keep telling myself. And it felt like I was lying to myself. But the more I told myself, the more I started to believe it. And then gradually I did gain the confidence to to think I can do it but it's a very easy thing to, to fall into the pattern of that negativity and that pessimism telling yourself you can't do it.
1: Mm. Now what you're saying is really important because there's this thing about and it's exactly what you're describing and they call it imposter syndrome so you're doing something and it might be going well or it might not be and then you think who am I to do this? Exactly like you said, who am I to do this? I, I'm I'm not, I'm an imposter. Say you got a promotion at your job and now you're with all the big wigs. You never feel really comfortable there. Maybe because you don't feel like you deserve to be there. You know you and you know all of your faults. How can you with all of your faults deserve to be with these faultless people? And there's always this question, how do you deal or get over imposter syndrome? And I think I, I wouldn't be far off as saying most people if not everyone has felt imposter syndrome at some point in their life i think if they haven't then maybe it's a good idea to get out there and try something that scares them something that they may feel an imposter at now it sounds to me like you're saying the key to getting over imposter syndrome is repetition of these good phrases and repeating to yourself that you're not an imposter you're not an imposter and i think i think that this would come from your thinking becoming, or rather what you say to yourself, gradually becoming your thinking over repetition. And I would imagine that that this came about in your journey quite a bit. Did you have to tell yourself things a lot in order to believe them?
0: Uh, no, just that once. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was at the start because I didn't have any food. We were going into the Andes. The bikes were too heavy. Everything just felt like it was against me. The person that I was cycling with was quite negative towards me. Like he said that I should just go back home and stop eating and try and No way. Because he didn't think I could do it. And um, he was like, you know, it's okay that you're slower than me because you're a girl and girls just aren't as good at things as boys. So Sounds like a great guy. And I was like, yeah. So he really bit away at my, my confidence, which, um, and I was speaking Spanish 24-7. So my brain was constantly tired. My body was constantly tired. So it was just very easy to berate myself. Um, but I also listened to this channel called Motivational Madness on youtube mm-hmm. and um i d- i pre downloaded loads and loads of these videos onto my phone, so whenever I would have these pessimistic thoughts or these self doubting thoughts and um and I was in a negative place, I'd listen to these so even if I couldn't like effectively lie to myself or that you know when I couldn't tell myself how good I was. I put on these audio tracks of someone screaming in my ear how amazing I am and that I'm capable of doing anything if I just believe it and my only limitations are myself. And, you know, the fear of regret is going to be the worst fear that you ever feel. So don't do anything that you're going to, you know, don't take those chances and those opportunities. Wait don't not take them. Wait. So take the opportunities <laughs> mm. and these chances because you'll, you'll probably regret it later if you don't. Mm. Um, so I found those a huge help to me when I didn't have the strength to tell myself it.
1: Mm. That's really, really interesting that that these motivational things, like you say, can can help you reframe your mind and reframe your thinking. That's, yeah. I, I really like how that can happen. And it's not just in travel. That's in life as well, that you're oh, reframing I- your thinking, you know?
0: like if for anyone that's starting up a new business, anyone that's going into a new career, it's so easy to doubt yourself that just having someone screw me in your ear, you know what you might be too scared to tell yourself is so helpful, and it was such a huge motivator for me,
1: yeah, absolutely, I can totally see that, especially on a trip so arduous there's a great word, I think I'll throw that in there. <laughs> a trip so arduous is this one, and i can yeah, I can totally see how that how that really really helps so. There's something I wanted to, I wanted to dive into. So I've been reading, I've been reading a little bit about you and there's this part, your life is like a, it's kind of like a movie up to now or a book, you know, a good book. And (laughs) there's a part in said book where you're in Mexico and uh, teaching English. Now, it's the bit after that that I wanted to talk about, that I wanted you to tell a little bit of a story about. Now, you earned enough money to to travel back to England, right? To travel, and that was kind of it. Seemed like that was the that was the goal. You decided not to. Why was that, and what happened after?
0: Okay, so I was living in Florida for a while, working in polo and jumping, and then I went to Mexico because it was really really close by. And then, obviously, as you said, I started teaching English, and I did a bit of that jaguar conservation work for the government. And because of the exchange rate between the the Mexican peso and the sort of euro or pound or dollar, it's so, the exchange rate is so bad that even with four months solid working and saving as best as I could, I'd managed to save up 400 pounds, which was not enough for a flight home. And my visa was due to expire and I had to find another way home. So I started looking at cargo ships. Um... And that would have cost me £2,000 and it would have taken two weeks. And I was like, well, if I don't have, you know, I've got £400, I can't do that. That's not an option. And I thought, if I could find a private boat, I could get home on a boat. (laughs) And so I started started about four hours on the internet trying to research different sites and all of these places. And I found a site called Crew Bay and they advertise uh, voyages and they need people to help on the boats or they're people trying to look for voyages. And I found this one. Going back to the UK. So I emailed him and I said, I've got no sailing experience whatsoever. Can I please come on your boat and get home? And he was like, Yeah, it's going to cost uh, like a little bit less than 400 pounds from docking fees and food costs. And I was like, Brilliant, because that's all I have. <laughs> Ideal. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then I hopped on this boat with these two guys and a cat called Cuba, uh, two guys I'd never met before, never sailed before, and decided to sail two months back home. It, it was a total of 54 days. And we stopped off in the Azores and we saw, um, like at night, I saw dolphins swimming in the bioluminescence, leaving these huge trails of like glowing algae. And the boat would leave the this huge wake of glowing algae behind. And they there was a, a wire going from the top of the boat to the, to the back of the boat. And I would line those up with stars. And I would sit there looking at this wake from behind the boat and steering based on these stars, lining the, this wire up with stars. So it was it well, I'm a very, very impatient person and anyone in my life will tell you how impatient I am. Um, so it was the biggest test for me because I was frustrated the whole time. I read the Forrest Gump book five times and I just I was literally walking around the boat frustrated about time, but it it was such a healthy thing for me because it it made me be patient and it made me stop for a second was well, for stop for two months really and um it was a great experience and i'll never change it for the world but i'm i'm not sure i'll get on a a boat to to um steer for two hours and sleep for four hours for two months again <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so amazing and you paint such a such a vivid picture i mean i can i can see it in my mind i can see the the boat i can see the stars lining up you paint such a vivid picture that i'd love to go into your story now
0: uh-huh.
1: Right. So where does the story you've got for us today take place?
0: Okay. So the, the story that I'm going to talk about today is um, it started in Peru. So I'd already gone through the Amazon um, and over the Andes. And then at this point I'd reached the desert and I had spent about a week in the desert at this point. Mm. So everything happens in the latter part of Peru.
1: Interesting. Okay. I'm so looking forward to it. If you could give this story a name, what would you call it?
0: I would probably call it um, 7,000 kilometers, no money, what now?
1: Nice. Okay, I like it. I really hope that the question is answered. Awesome, I can't wait for this. Right, you are listening to the Travel Stories podcast and this is Laura Bingham with 7,000 kilometers, no money, what now?
0: I'm gonna paint a little picture for you. You know, there's this really, really long road ahead of you and there's sand to your right, there's sand to your left, there's sand behind you, there's sand in front of you. All you can see is sand and a road. There's no cars, there's no towns. The last town that you went through was about 50 miles ago. And then you notice that your back tire is as flat as a pancake and the difficulty of the day cycle wasn't down to the huge amount of weight that you were carrying because at that point I was carrying so much extra weight that that's what I thought was making the day so difficult but I'd actually been cycling those 50 miles with a flat tire because I'd been cycling all that distance with a flat tire I'd destroyed my tire and I could see the inner tube. Previously I'd had a chap with me and he'd sort of taken over all of the bike mechanics because that's you know generally what men do take over all of anything mechanical. So I'm in the middle of the desert with this broken tire. So I start taking everything off and I take the tire off and I lever this and I'm like, what do I do? And I try pumping up the you know the inner tube and praying that it works and it can't quite and I'm I just sit there on the floor and I don't know what to do just I just put my iPod in and I listened to Tracy Chapman you know her fast car track and I didn't know what to do and I I felt this despair because it wasn't like the Amazon where there were loads of villages everywhere and there's rain, there's like the rainforest, there's all these animals, there's this life and all the rivers and, and all of this abundance of really, really clear and apparent life. I'm in the desert. There's no rivers, there's no trees, there's no forest, there's no people. I'm alone. In the rainforest, it would have been fine because I could have camped behind a tree. I could have found somewhere to camp. And By this point, it's four o'clock, so it's gonna start getting dark in a few hours, and I need to figure out a plan because I can't camp in plain view. If I put my tent on the side of the road in the desert, a car could come past, rob me, kill me. I'd have no help. I have no protection out there, so I can't just sit there and and wait until it gets dark and then camp because I'm so exposed that I could be attacked so easily. I didn't know what to do. And I was in such a place of worry and fear because I had no real option. And I started playing around with the bike again for a bit more and then this car turns up and it pulls up. And this guy comes out and I'm like, oh, men, I don't really want to talk to men. They get a bit scary. And he said, do you need any help? And I was like, well, actually, yes, I do, but I can't take a lift because I have to cycle the length of South America. I can't uh, take lifts, unfortunately. And he was like, well, no, no, put the bike in the back of the car. He had a four by four sort of pickup. He said, put the bike in the back of the car. We'll sort your bike out and I'll come and I'll bring you back here, okay? And I was like, oh, you know, that's actually really, really helpful because then I, I start from the same point so I'm not missing out anything. And now we get to a bike shop in his village and, you know, I've said, I've explained the situation. I'm traveling without any money. I don't have money to fix the bike. I don't have money for food. I don't have money for shelter or anything. He says, no, 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 don't worry about it. You know, we'll sort it out. And he takes it the bike to the bike shop and he says, no, nope, we don't have that tire here. You're gonna have to go to Adequipa, which is about a seven hour bus journey away. And he goes, okay, well, we're going there anyway in about two days time, so just stay with us until then and we'll all go together on the bus and I'll pay for your bike to get fixed and and stuff. So I stayed with them and they fed me and we went to the beach and they bought me an ice cream and me and the mum, the wife, we went like walking along the beach, like dipping and running into the sea. Two days later, we go to Arequipa and He finds the bike shop. We go searching around. They spent about two hours trying to find the right tyre for my bike. They paid for a hotel for me to stay in with them. And then, true as their word, they put me on a bus back to where they found me so I could start again. They went with me to the bus station and I fell asleep on the mum's shoulder. And she, you know... Yeah, I fell asleep and I could feel her stroking my hair. And when I had to get on the bus again, I just burst into tears because I didn't want to leave them. I felt so safe with this mum and dad figure. I didn't want to go back out on my own. I didn't want to go back out into the desert where I had no money and I had no food. I had no one to console me. I had no one to comfort me or tell me that everything was going to be okay. I was going back to this dry abyss of sand where there was no life. Like, I had to leave this mum and dad figure that had looked after me so kindly and and so caringly for these um, three and a bit days in total that I just burst into tears and she hugged me and she was like, you know, you have to finish your journey. And I was like, I know, but I just... The prospect of going back into the desert alone was just so scary for me. But it was really sweet. I spoke to her uh, this morning, actually. She texted me she said um, me and Robbie remember you and we still love you and we hope that you're okay and I text her back saying I still like care about you too and I hope that you're okay and that your son and daughter are good and she said like send your family our love and it's really really sweet that we still stay in contact as well because they were such a pinnacle point for me within the entire journey of um, they were just the kindest people that I met they just bent over backwards for me did everything they could and just showed me so much love and affection in a a time that I really really needed that when they met me three days before they had no idea who they were like they had no idea who I was and I didn't know who they were and by the end of it they viewed me as their daughter and I viewed them as my parents and to develop that depth of love within three or four days is is probably the most beautiful thing about human life is that, you know, that we have that ability to love a complete stranger within that short timescale.
1: That was Laura Bingham with 7,000 kilometers, no money, what now? Laura, I love that story. I, I say it a lot on, on this show, but I genuinely love that story. That was great, because you're in a position where where you think, what now? Like in, the, like in the title of the story, what happens now? I mean, usually when you're in situations, you can think, well, if I do that, I don't really want to do that, but I kind of have to. But in a situation like that, th- there's nothing you could do. Was there any other option?
0: Uh, no, not really. I, there were so many points within this entire journey where I just prayed. I just tried to put out as much positive energy as I could, because I didn't have a solution to so many situations. And at the last minute, when I had almost lost all hope, there was always someone that would come in and save the day. And that's what I've sort of found within all of my journeys is just that at the end, when you really need it, there's always someone that comes in to save the day. And I just think it's just beautiful human like human kindness and you know what we can do for one another.
1: Oh, absolutely. And there's this thing where it's kind of a double-edged sword where a lot of people myself included say it's really good to trust people because people are just people they've got you know moms and dads and hopes and dreams they're just people like you are people right and people are very trustworthy the vast majority of them the other edge of that sword however is that when you go to certain places there are people that don't really want to help that much and like you say you were fearful that that there were men coming along because you know the extent of what could happen you know and so there's always this kind of underlying fear there and that i think as with most things the answer lies in the middle ground in the middle of those two things where do you where do you stand on that with trusting strangers
0: well it's a very very good question uh i'd say there's sort of nine to one nine good people and there's always one bad person Mm -hmm. uh the ecuadorian andes was such it was such a negative place for me this little sunshine that i always carry within my heart died and it didn't come back until paraguay um and the people were really, really cold. There, were, there was a point that I dropped my bike. I was crying on the floor, wet, hadn't eaten in like 24 hours. And this lady just looked at me and shook her finger. And I had to pick the bike up and keep walking. And that was one of the worst memories that I have of the trip. And I was attacked in Peru on the beach. Um, and a, you know, a guy came into my tent. And you know, my fiance got hit off the bike, got sideswiped by a lorry that didn't even stop. My other, the person that was cycling with me originally got hit by a minivan, he Managed, he managed to jump out the way. But there are stories along the way that I could tell people and tell you of bad things that have happened, but they're so fractional um, you know, in proportion to all of the amazing and great stories. And I think just through traveling and listening to your gut, it's such an important thing. Everything that ever, ever went wrong in any of my travels, it's because I ignored my gut feeling. Um, and that's just something that you shouldn't ignore. Um, but there's so many good stories out there and it's just sussing a situation. And if your hair pricks up, even for the slightest thing, just don't risk it and and get out and leave Um, and lock your tent from the inside <laughs> when you're camping because then that just deters people from entering it when you're sleeping. That's a
1: great idea. That's a great idea. And I think it's, uh, can you think of anything else where it's a nine to one ratio of good to bad? That's pretty good going, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's, you know people are so bizarre, you know animals you can predict you know you can pretty yeah, you can predict animals because they run off instincts and they're very predictable, but humans they're the most unpredictable thing in the world they just i don't even know what we act off of desire. Uh, emotions, illogical thinking, logical thinking.
1: Mm.
0: We're such complex beings that it's quite mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, well there's a lot that comes into it. I mean, there is all of the um all of the like you say desires and emotions and all of the natural stuff that's within us. But I think a lot of that um a lot of that doesn't really fit in with society, I say in air quotes, uh, with society. So, for example, I mean, let's pick one. Uh, I mean, aggression, something like that. Not not so much unwarranted aggression, but Aggression, as people know, you have to get it out sometimes. Some people don't. I myself haven't felt aggression in oh god, ten years now. But, but it's like you have to get these things out in a way. And I don't think society is particularly set up for some natural emotions and things like that. There's a lot of societies where they hide your natural emotions. It's not good to cry in public, etc. And I, I think society kind of dampens our ability to act off those. And another thing is, society as well and culture we do act off what we're brought up to, how we're brought up to act as well in a certain way, you know, and that Nature kind of fuels. nurture. Oh, exactly. And that kind of fuels into this cocktail that you're talking about where humans are so unpredictable because the, in any one moment they could be acting in th- throughout, you know, their, their natural state, they could be acting through something in society They could be going against something in society. And they're so, exactly how you say it unpredictable but the fact that that it's nine to one i mean i reckon that's a pretty i reckon that's a pretty good stab at at what it actually is that's what i've uh noticed for sure and i'm i'm sure listeners write into me see if you got nine to one as well but i reckon that's pretty good going
0: i think so uh I, you know i lived 164 days without buying any food
1: yeah so- exactly
0: a huge testament to how kind people can be and in Argentina especially in Paraguay and Argentina especially the people were so kind it got to the point where I had to tell people to stop giving me food because (laughs) there are like loads of cyclists and they start cycling alongside us and they'd be like yeah come to my house for dinner here's some you know come to my house for lunch here's some food for dinner when you get there oh and actually then my friend will meet you in the next village and you know, he'll give you a place to sleep and we get there and then they give us a goodie bag and we're like, we're just collecting all of this food. We can't like, stop giving me food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. It's the generosity of the people there. And speaking about Uruguay and Peru and and Paraguay, I'd really like to talk about Operation South America. We talked about about this just before the call and it sounds amazing. Can you tell our listeners a little more about it?
0: I'd love to. Um, Operation South America is a charity Uh, based in paraguay and it's founded by an english chap called uh, phil granger and he went out to paraguay and he met this married couple and they were mourning the loss of their first son he at the age of nine uh developed a rare um a rare type of leukemia and they didn't have enough money and there wasn't the uh, treatments that there are today. Um, so he unfortunately died at the age of nine. So they were mourning the the loss of their first son and they met Phil. And then they started up this organization for for young girls that are from broken backgrounds, you know, violent backgrounds, their parents don't have enough money to look after them. Um, a lot of them were like sort of the result of rape. And so they're brought up the mothers don't have enough money to look after them. So you know, they go into this organization. At the moment, there's only 21 young girls there, but they've seen lots of young girls come and go, whether the problem's been fixed at home or they've just grown up through the um, organization and they've gone and found jobs and found apartments. So they're there for so many different reasons, but it's the most beautiful organization because... They look after these girls, and they don't just give them a home, and they don't just give them food. They give them the opportunity to really focus on their education, and they teach them what they're worth. Because you know, if if you're from a, a household where your per- parents don't really have enough money to feed you, you know, you're just going to assume, like we said, you know, nature and nurture. You're just going to assume that that's the way your life is going to be forever. And they come into this organization, and they're shown so much love and affection, and you know their dreams are just allowed to to grow so huge there that they just they go out thinking the world is their oyster and um I remember Phil was telling me a story about these two young girls that turned up, and their dad, their mum had died, and their dad had to go away for work and he'd come back every three days with food and they'd eat every two to three days uh like one meal a day of just sort of rice and they came to this organization and they got their breakfast and then they got fed lunch and they were like, oh, we we don't understand. Why are you giving us more food? And they went, because you're supposed to eat three times a day. And they went, are we? I thought we only ate every other day. And they were like, no, you're supposed to eat more than that. And then it came round to like cookie and milk time. And they just thought they'd died and gone to heaven. Because not only were they given food three times a day, they were also given biscuits and milk and treats. So... It was when he told me that story of these two young girls that I just went, Christ, you know, cycling five months with no money is just non-comparable to what these girls actually go through. Because I had the one comfort of I get to come home to money and I get to know that there's a finishing line and I get to, you know, I know that my suffering is going to end these young girls. They had no idea when their suffering was going to end. They had no idea if they were ever going to get a biscuit at the end of the day. They had no idea if there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And they still had hope. And I just thought, you know, my journey was nothing in comparison. And um, I remember being at the organization and playing hide and seek with these girls and playing chase. And uh, I had almost forgotten where I was. And I just thought I was in an after school club. And it was only when there was a car came into the drive and it said child defense lawyer and two girls got up and went, oh, sorry, we've got to go and We've got to go for a meeting now that I went, oh, yeah, I'm not at an after school club. These girls have been through something, but they just wanted to play and hug me and and play with my hair. It was. Um, they're really, really inspirational children.
1: Mm, yeah, we had on... I think it was in season two, we had on Daniel Venn. He's the author of Beyond Baseball, and he has a program helping kids round first. So he helps um, down in Nicaragua through what he knows, which is baseball. And the one thing he said to me, which I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with, uh, is that these kids, they... The biggest thing he found was that they have such a will to learn and to grow, such a will that he yeah. hadn't really seen in, uh, in where he was from Colorado, Colorado, sorry, and uh, he hadn't really seen the, the, their will to learn. He hadn't seen that before. And they're really striving to learn, and they love it. They love to learn and grow. Is that something you saw as well?
0: Yeah, it was um, when I, because I was documenting the whole thing, I was filming these girls, and I, I said to pretty much, all of them I said to a lot of them that um you know do you love do you like living here and all of them said yes with this huge grin on their faces all of their teeth showing and I asked the follow-up question well why do you like why well, you know why do you love living here and the majority of them said because we get to learn because here we get to go to school and come home and study and at home I, I don't get to do that I wouldn't get to do that Mm. so it was just to really put everything in proportion as well you know you come here and you tell children you know okay now it's time to go to school and they go oh my god I do not want to I feel ill I feel really bad don't maybe go to school whereas these <laughs> girls are like yay school time let's go and learn because we don't actually get this opportunity
1: it's crazy it's crazy and for all those uh kids listening out there that do want an excuse put your head on the radiator for about 10 or 20 seconds when your mum feels it it'd be warm and she'll be like well you're way too ill to go to school so there's a little tip for you anyway how can people get involved in operation south america it sounds amazing how can people get involved donate is it anything like that
0: uh yeah so if any of you guys listening, if you can head over to my social media channels, it's just Laura bingham 93 um, I, On my Facebook and my Twitter, I've pinned a link to my crowdfunding page. So if anyone can donate £1, £5, £10, it doesn't matter how much, everything will go straight to those children's plates. And I can assure that because I know where the founder lives and he does not live in a nice house. So he is not profiting whatsoever from this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Always what you like to see. <laughs> to this film, um, <laughs> uh, So I can completely go straight into those children's mouths and it goes on to looking after their teeth. It goes, you know, and the worst thing that I forgot to tell you is that um, the, the parent, the couple that are looking after these 21 children, their second son, their only child now, he's also got a rare, um, he's also got leukemia. So for the past year, he's been going through treatment and every weekend they have to go up to... Um, Asuncion, and they sit with him through his chemotherapy and through his um, treatment, and then come home and look after these young girls, and they have to try and find people to cover for them for the weekend. So, even if it's just you want to volunteer and help and play with some lovely children, go over to the website OperationSouthAmerica.org and um, you know ask if you can volunteer because it's not just your money that they need they need the support and they need people to volunteer and help and if you can speak English and Spanish and you want to teach them English and you you know you've got a TEFL qualification or anything you know you you love farming and looking after plants and playing with you know children just you know talk to them and try and help I guess.
1: Brilliant. Well, that sounds perfect. It sounds like such a fantastic charity, and what we'll do is, as well as getting together a donation from the team here at Travel Stories Podcast, we'll also put those links all in the show notes for you guys. You can check out the crowdfunding site. You can check out the social media there for Laura, and get it all going.
0: Thank you so much for saying that you'd. Oh no, the most wonderful thing is because I get married in three weeks' time. The um the lady that I bought my dress or dress my that I bought my dress off of. I did some work for her before, so she's sort of a bit of a friend, and I went to pick up the dress, and she went, oh, the remaining balance of the £500, can you donate that? And I just started crying, because I was like, "But that's like your profit, you know, all I've done is pay for, like, literally the dress, or, you know, I don't even know if I paid for the dress, but... Yeah, then I donated um, the 500 pound, What well, I say I, my dad did because he was buying my dress. But, um...
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, listen, it's been awesome talking to you and finding out all about this and finding out about all your trips and everything like that. And just for the listeners out there that aren't aware of this, we've been on this call, me and Laura, for it's, it's a couple of hours now. It's got to be. Because
0: we're soulmates. Yeah. <laughs> Women that he keeps
1: talking about we're born in the same hospital it's yeah but anyway so we've been talking for yeah a few hours now and what i'll do is because we've had some we've had some cracking conversation off air (laughs) through this call (laughs) so what i'll do is i'll hmm, how should i do this I'll stick it on social media somewhere. Maybe we'll make a video or something. Maybe we'll get something going. But head to the Travel Stories Podcast Facebook. Just search Travel Stories Podcast, I guess. I don't know. I'm not good with Facebook. Or go to facebook.com slash Travel Stories Podcast. (laughs) And uh, yeah, there'll be a little bit of it behind the scenes with me and Laura. Because this has gone on a while. We've got to use some of that stuff, man.
0: We've got some good jokes in there. I've got a few accents and some laughs and uh, (laughs) some bloopers.
1: Oh, everyone loves the bloopers so far. People are calling me out on all those. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. (laughs) Anyway, Laura, it's been so fun chatting to you. It's
0: been really, really good. I really, really enjoyed this podcast. Actually, Well, I say actually like I'm surprised. Oh,
1: thanks. Yeah, (laughs) you're dreading coming on.
0: Well, I've never spent an hour and a half talking to someone on a podcast.
1: so <laughs> <laughs> It's been fun, but it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Hayden. Thank you for me.
1: You have a good one.
0: Bye. It's probably the most beautiful thing about human life is that, you know, that we have that ability to love a complete stranger within that short timescale.
1: Thanks for listening to the Travel Stories Podcast. Get in touch with Hayden on Twitter at Travel Stories UK or online at TravelStoriesPodcast.com where you can find all of the show notes and resources. Subscribe to the show to join us next time for another immersive, inspiring and international travel story on the Travel Stories Podcast.